to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The entire Bible is so powerful. It's like a powerful surgical tool that uh, is used and, and can just pinpoint the accuracy and, and when it needs to be said and how it needs to be said and, and the things that you read. And as I study the Word, I find that different parts have different effects on me. Sometimes I read First Samuel, I can read four or five chapters right through them, and the story just kind of goes there. And then I go to a book like John, and, and you know, John's a different story. You have to kind of slow down, sometimes even down to, to specific words, and you have to sit there and think about them for a while. And that's kind of what we've done uh, with a few of the words here in, in chapter 17. Um, you know, I felt the Lord has been really praying for me as I've gone through this, that I would just get it. Not, not like a friend or a parent that just says, well, don't you get it? Come on, Alan, get it. Don't you get it? Come on, don't, don't you understand this? But I mean, he's really wanting me, and he really wants you to understand this. He really wants me to understand it. He truly wants me to get it. Jesus wants us to understand the Father, and he truly wants us to follow and act more like him. Well, first one, it starts out, After Jesus said this, he looked toward the heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Now this is eternal life, that you may know him, that that you may know, sorry, that they may know you, the the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we've talked about knowing the Father, not just, oh, hey, Father, how's it going, you know, you know not just this mind-oriented thing or maybe this educational thing where, hey, somebody's gone and, and had some Bible classes and they really understand the, the Word, and you know, not just that mind part of it, not just memorizing facts about the Father, but to sit with you, Father, and to know you, to be, to be intimate, to have an intimate relationship with God who, you know, we used to fear, to realize that you can be friends with God. And that's a, that's a new concept, especially for the Jews at this time. That's a whole new concept, because their God was, was a God that was separated from them. And then Jesus comes and says, I am God, I am here with you. Now you can have that personal relationship. And Jesus says in this prayer, I've glorified you, Father. I've shown them, or I've shown you to them. I revealed to to them all kinds of misconceptions that they had about you to the point where they needed to to really process things over time. Did you know that God sometimes can be so overwhelming? Did you know that, that sometimes our minds can't process everything? When we were in Israel, we had a wonderful time. And one of the things that was really hard was that you just got so much information thrown at you about the Holy Land. I mean, you're, you're in this city, then you go to that city, and you, you're at this, you know, the footsteps of Christ, and all of a sudden you're over here where Paul taught, and you're just like going, ah! It's, it's like overwhelming. It's too much information sometimes. We have to sit there and process. This is how it is with God sometimes. He allows us to process over time. He doesn't come and say, Alan, 
I've already told you this. You should know this already. He doesn't treat me like that. He allows for mistakes. He allows for relearning. Now imagine that. Allowing for relearning. He wants a relationship, not a rule memorization thing. The weekend of of Jesus' crucifixion is upon them. Within hours, he will be hanging on the cross at this point in in the history. And they will question everything. And he's telling God, he's praying to God, reveal me to them so that I can reveal you to them. They think they know me. But this next big event is going to test them like, they, like, like they've never been tested before. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about testing and about our faith and things that, that happen to us. But they will question everything. They will think, how could Jesus, how could Jesus who, who calmed the storm on the sea, who turned the water into wine, who, who fed the 5,000, who healed that little boy, who healed that little girl... How could he not take himself down from the cross? How could he allow himself to be crucified? And you know Lucifer was hoping that he would take himself down from the cross. You know that Satan was going, come on Jesus, come off that cross. Then you can join me and we can get the glory. You know he had to be thinking that. But here he is saying, glorify me to them. Jesus wasn't about to do that. Verse 4 says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Both the Father and Christ knew who he was. The Father understands that Jesus was there before the world began. This is such a weird concept sometimes for us to to, to understand. That Jesus is praying to, to the Father, which he himself is part of the Father. It's such a, a weird concept. And the translators struggled at how to translate this. And I really think that, you know, I like different translations for a personal study. I like the New King James for, for teaching. I like the NIB because it's much easier to read. And I have such a hard time reading up here. But I think the King James translation actually got this one right. It says, Father, glorify thou me. Now, when you try to turn that into modern day English, that's kind of hard to do. It doesn't make sense in English. Glorify you me. It needs something there. Jesus is saying, reveal them to you me. That is, you know, just so close. That they understand that you cannot separate the two. You can't separate the thou me. You can't separate the you me. You can't separate the father and the son. Glorify you me. To the point where they even understand that. That we would need the Holy Spirit to even sort of understand some of his teachings. The disciples, well at least three of them, got to go to the mountain of of transfiguration. It wasn't called that before uh, Jesus rose up into heaven to be with his father, but it was called that after that. And on this mount, Jesus talks with some of the old prophets that appear there. And, and the scriptures are very clear that, that Jesus was literally glowing at this point on this mountain. It was blinding the disciples. And they tried to describe it as much as they could. And, and, and you know, it was kind of hard to do that. And, and in fact, even Peter, you know, he didn't even want to leave that mountain. He was just like, okay, let's just build a big building right here, Lord, to, to just glorify you. And, and we'll allow everybody to come here and worship. And, and that was not God's plan. And Jesus says, no, of course. 
But just a bit of his glory was, you know, was revealed to them. But that glory, that same glory was also revealed to them on that cross when he was not glowing, when the life went out of his body. It reveals the heart of God, which is his glory, that he would sacrifice himself on that cross for you and I, just like he did for them back then. See, God is not only revealed when he glows, but also when he dies. When Jesus is saying, Father, reveal this to them, because I am leaving, I am going to die. But then he raises from the dead. He's revealed all the way through that process. In verse 6, he goes on and says, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now that they know that, that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they had accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. These are some powerful words here. They have received them and accepted those words. The word here for receive or accepted is lambano, to pick up, you know, in order to use. Not something that's going to be put away on a shelf. Not something that, oh, that's a wonderful gift, aunt so-and-so, and it kind of just goes in a corner and stays there. It's not one of those type of gifts. This is a birthday gift that will be used. It's a tool that doesn't just get, you know, that sits nice and pretty. Oh, you got wonderful tools sitting in your tool chest. They, don't, they have no grease on them. They don't, they don't even get dirty. This is a gift that's going to be used. This is putting all your eggs in one basket. And this is exactly what we do when we accept Christ. You know, there's the world philosophy of, of let's, let's follow all religions because one of them's got to be right. In reality, that is wrong. We put all our eggs in the true religion. We put all our eggs in the basket of Christ. This is exactly what we do when we accept Christ. We like to be in control, don't we? Oh, man, there are situations where I would love to be in control of. And I'm like, Lord, why don't you give me control of that situation? I could just take it. I could fix it. And he's going, no, you could mess it up more. You know, Jesus is saying about his disciples that they are in this so deep, no one else is going to leave. You know, out of the 12 disciples, the one of them that, that, that really was kind of wishy-washy, he's already gone. He's already betrayed Jesus. No one else. They're in this completely. They're with him. They're in it for the long haul. They received it. And they believed it, and they know it. In verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I am glorified in them. Not only as individuals, but also as a group. God is glorified through us. I'm glorified in them, he says. And this is a scary thought when we start to figure out that God is glorified through us. Because sometimes we don't feel like we're glorifying God, do we? Maybe it's just me. There's sometimes in my life I'm sitting there going, okay, this isn't glorifying God. And God's like, yeah, you're finally getting it. You're understanding it. I cannot believe that Jesus risked being glorified through me. That's a big risk. Don't you feel like that about yourself? You're sitting there going, he risked his glorification through me? Wow. He risked that his glory will be revealed through you. 
See, the number one method that God uses to reveal his glory is in us. I don't know what he's thinking. Because we're imperfect. And people watch us. And they watch us change from being selfish and foolish uh, foolish and sinless to being selfless and wise and pure and holy. And when they actually start to see this in our lives over, over a period of times, you know, and sometimes, you know, it's that process itself that starts to bug them. You're, you're, you're changing. Oh, you're just all holy and righteous now. Oh, you don't want to go do that? Well, you used to do that. And it starts to bug them. You're no fun now. And we say, well, actually, I really think I'm more fun now. But, but you know, and the other person's like, well, I feel bad when I'm around you. And my thought is, well, that's your problem. Not necessarily my problem that you're feeling bad about your life. I don't condemn you or put you down. But Jesus calls me to act with his glory in mind, with his ways. When we start to change, it glorifies God. It's really cool when we continue to change our whole lives. You know, we never get to a point where we stagnate. We stay, stay pliable. You know, when we don't get to that point where we act like, I finally arrived. I'm all holy now. I've made it. That, that's the Pharisaic land. That, that's when you, you start acting righteous for righteousness sake instead of glorifying God. We don't need to live there. Well, do you know how many hours I was in the Word yesterday? And you're thinking, well, obviously not enough. But when we're changing and changing and changing, people just start to go, man, you're, you're different now. And, and not in a bad way, but in, in a great way. How are you doing this? And you say in the humble way, not in a haughty way, but in a humble way, I'm just glorifying God. I'm just trying to live my life how God wants me to live. Not like, well, I've, I've been in the Word. God's just changing me. You know, it's a very humbleness that comes there. He's living in me, and I'm trying to respond. He says in verse 9, I pray for them. And in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer. And you get the sense of Jesus' sadness here. I'm leaving them, and they're staying. And he knows what this world is like. It's not the world that he created or likes anymore. It is a world that has been wrecked by sin. All you got to do is watch the news and know that this world has been wrecked by sin. All you got to do is look at each other. That's reality. The world has been wrecked by sin. But then Jesus comes and says, Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be the one as we, uh, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have, a full, have the full measure of joy within them. I've given them your, uh, your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world." They are staying, Jesus is saying. They will have to deal with how this world really is. I'm not allowing them to to escape to some mountain to be some recluse and, and say, well, I need to get away from everything. That's not what Jesus wants from us. They're going to be in this world, but not of this world. And please, please, Father, protect them. 
I want you to sanctify them. I want you to, to uh, you know, I want them to be perfect. And the word here, perfect, is it's teleos. It's not mean, meaning perfect without blemish, but to be whole, to be completed. Jesus really does complete us. To steal it from the movie, I complete you. Some of you get that, some of you don't. Jesus really does complete us. He really does make us whole. He wants us to feel joy. And joy is, is such an amazing thing because it is not based on circumstantial evidence, you know, circumstantial evidence and, and all those circumstances that we're in the middle of. It's not based on that. The joy that we have as believers is not based on what is going on. That is happiness. Good stuff happens and we are happy. Not so good stuff happens and we are what? Unhappy. Life is just like that. Sometimes it's like a roller coaster. And even worse is, is when I was in college, Lisa and I went with some friends to, to Disney World in Florida. And, and I, it's at Epcot or one of the, I don't know, one of those. And it has the roller coaster in the dark. Now, I don't mind roller coasters. They just don't do anything for me. I'm not one of those roller coaster freaks. They don't scare me. They just don't do anything for me. But the one in the dark, I don't like that. I didn't know which way the turn was going to go. That's how life is sometimes. That's how our Christian walk is. Man, we're going along and all of a sudden we're in the dark and it's turning this way. And I didn't know it was going to turn this way. So my, you know, my back and my neck is going all out of whack because I thought it was going the other direction. That's how life is. It's a roller coaster. We just can't see the turn, uh, you know, the turns. And Jesus is, is like a bubble in a level where we can check our joy level. It's not based on, on what's happening on the outside. The level is always there. The bubble is always there. It has nothing to do with who is mad at whom or what bills we have or how much money we have in our wallet or our lack thereof or if our kids are mad at us or our parents are upset or what job we have to return to tomorrow or maybe even later today. It's not based upon that. It's based upon something that's deeper and fuller and more real than the stuff we can actually, you know, actually feel. The things, the things that are real are invisible. The things that, that will go into eternity are invisible. Jesus says, you know, I want them to have joy in regards to these things. And he gets ready to pass from death, I mean, from life to death, back to life again. He's leaving his disciples with what the Apostle Paul called, you know, later on, he would call them spiritual gifts, and, 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 he, and he called one of them, you know, a fruit, joy, fruit of the Spirit. Not something that we have to work up to. Not something that, okay, come on, man. I mean, the worship team sounded great this morning. Not something we got to, okay, let's get the people riled up, guys. Come on. That's not what we're talking about here. Even though sometimes we feel like, you know, honey, put on that fake smile. We're going to church. No, that's not what we're talking about. Or can you sing those fast songs? I really need to get some joy today. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel good. But it goes much deeper than that. There's a satisfaction knowing that I have eternal life. That I am saved. What can man do to me? The scriptures say. What should I fear? Nothing. If God is for me, who can be against me? You know, see, I want from God that peace that surpasses all understanding. 
And so many times, as Christians, or as a Christian, when I don't feel peaceful, I try all the things the world tries. Have you ever done that? You just, you're not settled, and you just try all the things that the world has to offer. Instead of setting still and allowing God to give it to me. Do you know that God has peace in his hands and he wants to give it to you this morning? Is there anyone here this morning that needs peace in their life? Is there anyone here who, who you know, is not feeling the peace, you know, with, maybe with somebody else or, or maybe even with yourself? Something as, as crazy as getting on a scale or having a bad hair day or someone not saying hi to you or somebody telling you the truth can cause you to have such a rotten day or even a rotten week. See, this is what happens when we rely on ourselves for happiness. And there are so much, you know, so many things that are so much deeper than that that can rob us of our joy. If you let it. You see, it really is up to you. And most of the time, we can't believe that it is up to us. All these things that are happening in my life, it's not me. And the Lord is sitting there going, yes, but you can still have my joy. You know, I want to tell you a story that I've never told in a public setting before because it's very personal uh, for me. But I feel that at this particular moment, and, and I went back and forth with this all week, at this particular moment, I feel it's pertinent. When I was 17, I had a friend that I looked up to. He was a godly figure in my life. He was a mentor, but he was much more than that. He was a friend. He was a father figure to me. He was a person that I hung out with a lot. He was a person I went to the movies with, a person I played basketball with. We spent many times up the church praying together with a, with a, with a, you know, a discipleship group of, of uh, leadership kids of the youth group. He discipled me. He directed me. We studied the Word of God together. We spent many nights together worshiping God in his apartment with the leadership team. He was my youth pastor, but it was so much more than that to me. Well, we were on this trip together, and he tried to molest me. Now, as you can imagine, this absolutely devastated me as a young man. I don't know, I didn't know what to do or who to go to at this time. He was the one that I always went to when I didn't get along with my father. He was the one that I went to when I had things going on in my life I didn't understand. He was the one. My world was upside down. It made me question everything about myself and my faith. It made me angry at the church. It made me angry at the world. And I took it out on a lot of people that were around me. And they didn't even know why. They didn't know why I was angry. My father and I couldn't get along at all at this point. I mean, much less before this happened. Needless to say, I finally went to the senior pastor and we talked with him and it was dealt with. But the next couple of years, it was very difficult for me. I was angry. I mean, I would fly off the handle like that. I mean, I would just blow my top. And I realized something. The Lord was so patient with me. So very, very patient. 
And he was also really kind to me because during this time I, I met Lisa at the college, at the, at the you know, Christian organization there. And after meeting her, I figured out something very quickly. I would lose her if I continued acting out the way I was acting with my anger. I realized that if I continued to be angry, it was not going to turn out well for me in life. And the Lord took me through this very interesting time. And he got me to a point where he said, Alan, are you willing to follow me anywhere? And my answer was yes. And he goes, well, then you will need to learn how to forgive. Okay, I can do that. No, Alan. You will have to learn how to forgive Greg. But Lord, do you know what he tried to do? Yes, Alan. My heart hurt for you that day. But Lord, do you know what that man meant to me? Yes, Alan. He meant a lot to you. But Lord, do you know how I feel, how betrayed I feel? Yes, Alan. I went through that also. And that is when it struck me. This is just what the disciples had to go through. All those years of learning the word, all those years of going to church, all those years studying, I started to realize I was just like them. I had a choice of one of two things to do. I could go on living life in a hate-filled rage that set right below the surface in my life. I could live like that of not ever getting close to others or, you know, and really losing out, losing out on life, losing out on, on living, losing out on godly relationships, losing out on things that God had for me because this hatred sat right there underneath my skin. Or I could forgive and begin living again. Do you know what the hardest part of it was? God asking me to forgive somebody who betrayed me. Life was so good. He destroyed my last year of high school. Of not knowing where to go to church. Of not hanging out with those that I grew up with in the church. Of not understanding or or having my parents understand why I didn't want to go to church. And the Lord started asking me questions. And I could real, you know, I realized that this could either rule my life or I could allow him to take away the pain. So I challenged the Lord, uh, the Lord. I said, Lord, if you can take that away, I will follow you anywhere. And the Lord slowly started to do that. Now, the amazing thing is this. When the Lord started changing me, taking away that that anger, softening my heart. He finally asked me again, Alan, are you willing to forgive Greg? And I said, Lord, I can't go to him. I might do something or say something I regret. If you want to see anger come up in me, try to do something to one of our youth. Try to do something to one of our children. I will react so quickly. I will do it in a godly manner, but I will react so quickly. And the Lord is saying to me, I'm not saying to go to him, Alan. Are you willing to forgive him? Lord, after what he did. Yes, Alan, after what he did. So after some time of the the Lord really dealing with me in my life, 
I was able to forgive Greg for his betrayal. And then after some more time, the Lord told me to go to him and tell him that I forgave him. Greg never thought I could or that I would. He didn't have that expectation. And because the Lord had already dealt with my end of things, I I was able to say, I have already forgiven you to Greg. We we were able to restart our friendship. It took a lot of time. I wouldn't have done it without the Lord. I wouldn't have done it without, you know, I was older, I was wiser at the time. Greg went through a lot. I I actually introduced him to his now wife. They have two beautiful children. She knows everything about his past. We have become friends again. I've even invited him to speak on church retreats because of what, he, the, what the Lord has taken him through. I never thought in a million years that that would ever happen. But the Lord changed my heart enough to forgive, some, you know, to forgive something like that. But I want to tell you something. I could either have lived in the bondage of that situation for the rest of my life or allow the Lord to take it and change it in me. It saddens my heart. Anytime somebody is hurt in the church, saddens it completely, especially in the kingdom of God. But I do know one thing. If we don't allow the Lord His vengeance, if we don't allow the Lord His will, then we are the ones that live in bondage. If we don't allow the Lord to take care of these things, I could read you verse after verse after verse about forgiveness, but I'll only give you one. They asked the Lord, how many times should I forgive? And he said, 70 times 7. In other words, more than you can count. But instead of just spouting verses to you, I wanted, you to, t- I wanted to tell you this personal experience that I had, that through the Lord Jesus Christ, that when we forgive, we are free. The burden is lifted from our shoulders. I could open up and and love and be loved again. And it was a hard process. But let me tell you, it was worth it. Now, one of the greatest things as I look back, the Lord has allowed me to remember great and wonderful things about about those years. And he used this to mold me into the man that I am today. And I don't wish any type of situation like this on anyone But the Lord used it and can use a situation like this to mature you. Have you been hurt? Have you been betrayed? Have you been like drugged down the alley? Maybe it was a marriage that went bad. Maybe it was a child that just you couldn't control. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a boss. All I know is if we cannot start the process of forgiveness, and don't tell me it can't be done, because from personal experience, I can tell you, with the Lord, it can be done. It's rough, it's hard, it's difficult, but it can be done. It's a process. It's not a light switch. If you cannot start that process, then you will not have peace. You will not have God's joy in your life. You will be locked in that bondage for years to come. I want to pray for you who have been or are currently in a situation like that. Ask God to help you go through it with grace and with mercy. 
And he will help you by guiding you through it. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Allen? Well, from personal experience. Psalms 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now David wrote this. And he wrote this about a real valley. We use it and we kind of, you know, make, you know figure of speech, a valley of the shadow of death. It sounds so, you know, glory. I mean, it sounds so bad. But it sounds so, you know, just poem-wise, it sounds great. But this was an actual place uh, that they called it the valley of death. And I know one thing. If we stay in the valley of the shadow of death, what will we get? We get fear. We get no leading to green pastures. We get no restoration of the soul. We see no path. We get no protection from his rod and his staff. We don't get comfort when we stay in that valley. Goodness and love will not follow us. All because we're unwilling. I want you to be willing. Willing to forgive. Willing to allow God to heal. Willing to follow the Lord wherever he leads. I can't tell you what to do in any difficult situation. Every situation is different. But I do know one thing. If we don't apply the things that the Lord has taught us, grace and mercy and forgiveness, now it doesn't mean we don't be wise in those situations, but if we don't apply those, then we're not acting like He wants us to act. We're not allowing the Lord to be glorified through us. I want the Lord to be glorified through you and me. And it all boils down to, are you willing? And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to forgive somebody who's not even asking for forgiveness. It's the hardest thing to do. Let me pray for those that are going through that. Lord, you're your heart, your soul just aches when we go through difficult times in life. I pray for those that have gone through a marriage that have just drugged them down an alley. That you will beginning, you know, begin healing in that situation. I pray for those that have been hurt by people that may not have even know that they're hurting them. And I pray that you allow forgiveness to begin in those families. Lord, you are just, you are righteous, and you're a forgiving God. I pray that you forgive us for when we're not willing to follow you. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have grace and mercy to give me to to continue to, to allow me to relearn some things. But Lord, I pray that you start working in people's lives that We get to a point when you ask, are you willing? And we say, yes, show me how, because I don't know how. 
Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you in the middle of you know, your valley, your darkness, that you may be guided through that. That in the end, that grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and all the, the fruit of the Spirit wins out in the end. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.